Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Today's episode of Elevating Motherhood is sponsored by Blossom and Root, a nature-based Charlotte Mason-inspired homeschool curriculum company that has been gently guiding and supporting families for years. This thoughtful, age-appropriate curriculum begins at the preschool level and acts as a much-needed resource for this age group. Early Years Volumes 1 and 2 are valuable tools for parents with young children, whether you choose to pursue homeschool long-term or not. The information and ideas are easy to follow, fun, and engaging. School-age curricula are also available, with more grade levels being released each year. It's the curriculum my family uses and loves. We are super loving first grade, by the way, and the history curriculum just came out, which I'm also enjoying. Blossom and Root has generously offered a discount code for listeners of Elevating Motherhood. Use the code LORIBETH10, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your purchase. For more information about Blossom and Root, head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. Today's episode is also brought to you by Beautiful and Simple, an online boutique I've created and filled with products that remind us to slow down, practice self-care, and focus on the meaningful parts of our days, the beautiful and simple moments. My favorite mug is the one that says you cannot pour from an empty cup. It's my daily reminder to take care of myself so that I can take care of my family too. Go check out the collection of mugs, shirts, and bags currently available at beautifulandsimple.com. That's beautifulandsimple.com. Best-selling author, highly sought-after speaker, and mom to five boys, Allie Worthington is here with us today to share about her new book, Standing Strong, A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Adversity and Living with Confidence. I loved her book. I felt so understood and genuinely empowered in every chapter. It made me really slow down and take time to reflect on things like, What happens when we show up with faith? What happens when we choose not to be held back by crippling self-doubt and adversity? Why are women drawn to these empowerment movements? And what does sisterhood and motherhood really look like? Allie's message is steeped in abundance and faith. She encourages women to show up as who they are and not who they're told they should be. She confronts these messages about playing small with grace and models how to show up in the world with the gifts and talents we were given. On top of all this, she's just a gem, just an all around amazing person, truly. 
Allie Worthington is known for her straight-talking encouragement and practical tools that help women reach their dreams in business and life. She's a business coach and co-founder of Called Creatives, where she coaches writers and speakers. Author of The Year of Living Happy, Fierce Faith, and Breaking Busy, Allie is a well-known speaker and host of the popular podcast, The Allie Worthington Show. Her no-nonsense, guilt-free take on business, family, and balance have led to appearances on Today and Good Morning America. I am so thrilled to have her here on Elevating Motherhood, too. Allie lives with her husband, Mark, and their five sons outside of Nashville with the only golden retriever who refuses to retrieve. Without further ado, let's welcome the wonderful Allie Worthington to the show. Aloha, Allie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I am thrilled to join you. Oh, I am thrilled to talk with you because (laughs) I love the work that you're doing. And I know that you're here to talk about your new book, Standing Strong, A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Adversity and Living with Confidence. But I just find your life, your story, your other books, your work, like all of you to just be so interesting that I'd like to begin with getting to know you better, me and my listeners. Tell us a bit about your story. Well, I am a wife and I'm a mom to five boys. The youngest is 12 and the oldest is 21. So we have elementary school all the way through college. It's it's wild and our house is as crazy and smelly as one could imagine with five sons. And it's funny, I do I do a lot of things. I kind of have a a a love affair with with work. I, back in 2008, I was a stay-at-home mom. Our youngest was four weeks old, and it had been about a year at that point where my husband had been out of work, and we had gone through our savings, and we were going into that 2008 recession. We ended up losing our home to foreclosure, and we lost everything we owned except what fit into two little mobile pods storage units. And we spent the summer living with my grandfather. My husband was applying for new jobs. And I would um, take the kids, my husband, I would take the kids every day to a McDonald's playland close to his house and the kids would play, he would apply for jobs and I would Google, how do you make money on the internet? Because I already loved the internet. I was a blogger. I blogged about family and, you know, Twitter was the big social media back in the day and really loved how I could meet people and build friendships with people on the internet, which at at the time seemed crazy. But I knew God was moving me into a season where financially, it was my job to also help my husband take care of everyone. And that really opened my eyes to the opportunities that are available to women online, whether it's to to learn new things, to gain new skills, to build things. You know, all throughout history, there have been gatekeepers, especially to women, or if you're born in a certain socioeconomic class or whatever it is um, throughout history where we don't get permission to try things. We don't have permission to build. We don't have permission to learn. And I realized, oh, on the internet, we can do whatever we want to do. We can build. We can we can follow the threads of you know these little nudges that God gives us. And I fell in love with that opportunity. So I built a conference through the years and a few different businesses. Um, I I did take a few years off of my business. Uh, Christine Kane, who's a, a evangelist. She came to me and asked me to build a ministry for her. So I built, I worked with her to build Propel Women for about 
three and a half years and then went back to running my own business. And just I'm in love with all of the things that we get to do on the Internet. I, I wake up every day and I'm excited to open up my laptop and learn something new or build something new or just help other women um, kind of follow whatever dream God has put in their heart and in a season of life. So it really excites me. I love that. And I love that you have such a positive view of the internet and that it has not only served you, but then allows you to serve other people too, yeah, especially now, since there's a lot of crazy on the internet now. I'm, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the thing. We just, we had to be really careful to avoid the crazy. And now my rule of thumb is if your internet is full of jerks, that's your responsibility. You need to just mute them and stay focused on the good and the positive things. <laughs> Good for you. You know, I'm giving you a thumbs up because I, you know, I actually appreciate people like you who are that positive light in the internet space and seeking them out. And, um, I think that I have done that exactly what you're saying, taking my accounts and who it is I follow and who it is I allow to speak in my life and really just cleaned it up and got rid of the jerks, if you will, and got rid of anything that made me feel like I was comparing myself to anybody else and stuck with the motivators, you know? That's fantastic. And I I love that. And I love the personal responsibility piece um, because I think that that's really important too. You are just such a lovely motivator of women. And I'm wondering what your journey into that looked like? Like, like, was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to write a bunch of lovely books or I'm going to start Blistem (laughs) or, you know, I'm going to start a coaching business. Like, what was that like? Um, I wish that I could say like, here's the secret sauce and this Mm -hmm. step one step. I fell into every piece of it and, and I fell into it because God had me on a journey and would just open certain doors. And luckily I didn't let self doubt hold me back. Um, I fell into the first conference that I built. A a woman who lives outside of New York City sent me a DM on Twitter and said, hey, um, I I have this client who wants to host this thing in Nashville. Do you want to partner with me on it? And I said, yes. And that's how I fell into that. And writing books, I kind of, I kind of um, fell into writing books for women back in 2006. I live in Tennessee. We were living in Rhode Island at the time. I was walking through a bookstore and I thought I should write a book. Now I was never good at English, still not great with my typos and I, I, I abuse commas often and that has to be fixed, but I thought I should write a book. So I went back to my house and the slow dial up Wi-Fi, and I Googled, how do you get a book deal? And the answer was, well, if you're not famous or infamous or well-connected, it's not going to happen. So I was like, well, darn it. I'm not any of those things. And then I kept Googling some more. And another answer was, if you you start a blog and grow an audience, you can prove to a publisher that you have something worthwhile to say. So I thought, well, okay, I don't know what a blog is, but let me look into that. So I started blogging. And pretty soon after I started blogging, I just fell in love with the blogging format and the growth. And I kind of put that dream of a book on my shelf until about eight years later, I was with a friend of mine and her literary agent was with her. And she said, you have such an interesting story. Have you ever thought of writing a book? And my first response was, no, no, no. I, I love the immediacy of blogging and social media. And I said, well, actually I might. And that, that started the journey of me praying into Lord, what is it exactly that you want me to say? You gave me this idea long ago. 
And I ended up publishing my first book 10 years to the month that I had that idea walking through a bookstore of maybe I should write a book one day. And I'm a big believer that God plants little ideas Mm -hmm. in our hearts and it doesn't make sense and it may take a long time, but eventually he's going to give us the opportunity to do that. I remember I was a young mom. My oldest is 21. He was about a year old. I I can remember being at a Chick-fil-A playland with, you know, one of, one of my mom friends and me telling her, I think one day I'm going to help people on the internet. Now the internet in 2001 was most, mostly news sites and shopping, and there was nothing really helpful about it in that sense. But I just had this little, this little seed planted in my heart. And I think that kind of a lot of what I talk about and standing strong is God is calling women to do so much, to be a force for change in this world, in our homes, in our communities. Um, and he plants these little ideas in our hearts. And sometimes life gets difficult and we don't pay attention to it or self-doubt comes to take us out. But I really feel like right now in this time in history, um, God is moving with women to be a force for good in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm nodding. Yes. To all of that. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I feel like I want to ask you a million questions. And that's exactly how I felt reading your book too. I got to the end of page one and it's like, well, I hope Allie has all day because basically I want to talk about literally every sentence on this page. <laughs> is so good. And I think that you're right about the planting of the seeds. And then I really appreciate that you pointed out kind of that slow unfolding that a seed was planted in your heart in that bookstore. And then 10 years later, ta-da, I just, I love that. And I like the gardening analogy too, because I think it really is important to understand that when these seeds are planted and there are little, you know, breadcrumbs along the way, if you will, that really make sense and, and water that seed and that idea that it is this slow growth. Um, We do a lot of gardening at my house and I plant seeds and then sometimes I find myself getting a little impatient Mm -hmm. and like, I really want those especially the dahlias to just grow and bloom overnight. (laughs) And then when they finally do, it is just so worth the wait and the, the slow tending to them and the daily tending to these, you know, these plants, but it's the same, same thing with ideas and, and being open to those. And I also believe that, you know, nothing can grow if you don't put it in the ground too. So I do feel very supported in that sense that I do feel like God does plant these seeds for me. And then it's like, okay, here you go. Here's a little bit, again, the personal responsibility thing. You're gonna have to water this a little bit, but I'm going to come in with some water too, you know, and we're going to, we're going to work together on this idea. And I love that it has come out in so many books for you. Which of your books was your favorite to write? Well, to be quite honest, all of my books, writing them is like punching myself in the nose for a year. I I don't enjoy the writing process. It tends to be super difficult. I know some people are like, I it just flowed. I would sit down at my laptop and everything came out so easily. Writing is a is a tough process for me. Um mm. I can say that, and, and even the, the process of releasing the book, um, it tends to be uh, it tends to be a really tough process. But then I can look back on it and go, oh goodness, I'm so glad that that that's out there in the world. I really did not think that I would ever write a better book or a more powerful book than Fierce Faith. That's my book on fear. Um, mainly because that was so difficult for me and it was so powerful to other people. But, you know, I I tend to just write books about 
what I've experienced in life and and what I think God wants to tell women. And I've been really thrilled with this one that I've heard back from so many women already who say there were things in my heart that I thought God was telling me and he used what you wrote to confirm I really was hearing from him. Mm -hmm. And gosh, I just, it doesn't get better than that for me as an author. That, that really excites me. Mm, Yeah. Well, I'll just be another person on that list for you because last night there was a couple of God moments where I had watched this one informative video and I was right next to my husband and I literally pressed pause and was like, wow, you're not going to believe this. The wonderful person I am interviewing tomorrow made these two different points in her stuff too. And it just felt like the ultimate confirmation because it was two totally different topics, right? Your book and then this other thing. And it was like, wow, those metaphors, I have chills just thinking about it. It was just, that's what it was. Your book is so affirming. And yeah, I do think that there are messages that we need to hear and and that you are a conduit for that information. I feel like a conduit for that information too, in podcast form and just really getting those messages out to women to empower and motivate them. Do you feel like there's a common thread in each of your books? Hmm. I think that there's a common thread only in terms of my life experiences. So the first one's about busyness. Second one's about fear. Then I wrote a devotional um, about kind of searching God, God giving us this idea that happiness and joy aren't separate and that true happiness in life is from him. And then this one was standing strong. I think the similarities are my, some of my struggles keep showing up throughout every book. So I think my, the thorn in my flesh, so to speak, will always be trusting God. I, Mm. he will tell me to do things. I will, I will be really afraid and then I'll step out in faith. And then what do you know? God shows up. But the whole time I'm wrestling with I know God's good, but can I really trust him this time? And even though I live through it over and over again, I look back on my long history with God that he never lets me down, that he always shows up. Yes, I go through some hard times, but he's always with me. There's something about me that will always wrestle a little bit with God. And I think in that, the theme of, can I really trust God? Is God really leading me here? I think that's a common thread through all of my work, just because that's, that's my issue. And as an author, our issues show up in our work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, yes, they do. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it is, um, faith is really interesting. And I don't think that it is just something that is necessarily steady, if you will. I mean, I think it's consistent in its presence, but I don't feel like it's necessarily steady. So like you said, we're, you know, we've ridden that wave and we're doing great in those terms. And then we get asked to turn the boat in a different direction. And you're like, I don't know, that looks a little stormy over there. Or like (laughs) zero visibility over there. I can't (laughs) see where I'm heading. And um, it works out. It works out. And yeah, I, I feel that, you know, I think back to my journey of starting this podcast and having that whisper on my heart and in my head, if you will, and, and being like, okay, well, I guess we're going to do that then mm-hmm. we're just mm-hmm. going to do that. And then, like <laughs> you said, just show, show up in faith and then it works out. And, and I do feel supported the entire time when I am following that. And then that becomes a personal cue for me of, you know, whether I feel supported or not. Um, and there's all kinds of, uh, oh, oh, we could just, oh my gosh, I just, 
so many things to talk about with you because I'm already thinking about your book. Then too, in a couple points, um, and I sense myself getting ahead with excitement. So standing strong mm-hmm. at the beginning of chapter one, you spell it out for us with the quote, women of our generation are held down and held back, not only by adversity, but also by crippling self doubt beaten down by an inner monologue that says they'll never be enough. They become drawn to the message of self-empowerment. I paused basically on page one when I read this and thought, yes, 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 yes. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Can you talk with us about this observation? Because I agree with you. And I think it especially applies to moms, but I am curious how you came to that conclusion. Yeah, for me, it was a bit of a, it was kind of what in the world was making me angry. So Mm. I, and I'm not one who gets angry often. So when I find myself, I keep getting frustrated and angry about something, I had to pay attention to it. And what I think is happening in our culture right now with this message of self-empowerment, believers, non-believers alike, we're all falling for it. It's the, you go girl, you've got this. It's going to be amazing. You fight for yours. You hustle. You tell people, um, you stop apologizing. You tell people it's your way or the highway and you fight for it. To some degree, there is there are positive aspects of that message, but that message and telling someone, you go girl, you've got this because Jesus has got this. And with Jesus, it's going to be amazing. That's a completely different message. I do believe that we should seek to be empowered and empower others, but that power comes from Christ. And if in our culture, it's just endemic right now that all these women are getting puffed up, like you've got this, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you've got this on your own. That is a message that ultimately leads to failure. It leads to failure in what we try to do. It leads to damage to our families. It leads to making ourselves God instead of putting us under God and seeking guidance. And for the women that kind of fall for this and struggle with this and then don't find the success that they want to find, it's going to be easy for them not to realize, oh, the whole message was wrong because the ultimate source of wisdom and power and strength is Jesus. And that whole message was empty. Instead of realizing that, most of us are just going to turn it on ourselves and go, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. So it sets women up to not reach success in the end, but we don't even realize it's not your fault. It's that the whole message was a lie. Mm-hmm. So that's what I kept finding myself getting angry about. And I knew I knew I didn't want to re- write a whole book about it, but I knew it was kind of that that match under me that made me go, I got to do something about this because this is ridiculous. Hmm. Hmm. On that same page, you say we live in a culture that constantly tells us who we should be as women. Mm. And again, see, I got to the bottom of page one and was like, okay, we're going to pause <laughs> and we're going to talk about that too with Allie, <laughs> because I had all the feels when I read that particular passage. And I'm actually really glad you brought up anger and with messages and cultural messages that were fed. Because when I read that, I had all the feels, including Mm -hmm. anger and a lump in my throat, but then also excitement 
because somebody else understood. But then, you know, frustration, loathing, all those feelings came in. And I kind of refer to this notion of who we should be and what box we should fit into as women as like the good girl narrative. Mm -hmm. And that we're always trying to answer to that good girl narrative and that cultural message rather than our calling or our creator or like spirituality has almost been like completely written out of that script of who we should be. And it is so hard to step out of that script because in the good girl narrative, we're a bunch of us are people pleasers. And so then we're trying to fit in with society and culture and online presence and all these things without that element of spirituality. So I'm curious how you found the courage to step out of that narrative. Well, I come from it from a really interesting perspective. I think, yes, it is, it is endemic in our society that women are raised to be quote unquote, a good girl. I was raised by a hippie mother and mm. somehow I, I was born in 1976. Somehow she was like, I'm never going to tell my daughter she's a good girl. So she was very anti the message that I think 99.9% of, of us grew up with. And I was not raised in the church culture. I think there is something mm. There is something to women growing up in the church culture in the 80s and the 90s that was very, here's how a girl behaves. Here's how you're supposed to be. Now, put yourself in that mold. I remember when I was a young married wife, um, my, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I got this book about how to be a good Christian wife. And I was like, okay, well, here's obviously I'm doing everything wrong. And here's how I'm going to start behaving. And after about a week of it, my husband would come home from work and he would start picking fights with me. And we, we don't fight. So finally, I'm like, why do you keep picking fights with me? What is going on? He said, you're just so vanilla and just so boring. What is going on? I just need to get a rise out of you. And I said, I'm trying to be a good Christian wife. And he said, well, I need you to stop it. Because <laughs> we have these ideas like, I this is quote unquote makes a good girl. This is what makes a good wife. This is what makes a good mother. Instead of going, okay, how did God uniquely make me? What does God want for my life? And a lot of times God wants something very different than our life than whatever, you know, whatever year we're in is culturally relevant or appreciated. When my husband and I back in, what year was it? 2013, he, he had, you know, in 2008, he got a new job. It kind of gave me some time to build up my business. Then in 2013, we knew with having all these children uh, me with what I was doing and him with a full-time job, the kids the kids needed more of us. They needed a full-time parent that wasn't distracted by anything else. And so he retired from his job to be primary with the kids. I can't tell you how many people, especially at church, be like, oh, how terrible is the feedback you're getting? And we were like, um, we're, we're not getting any feedback. I feel like we're getting feedback from you right now. <laughs> No, but people, people were like, how is it changing roles? You know, is, is it, oh my and, and it was, it was as if we did something shocking, but we knew that God was leading us to do this, that this is what God wanted for our family. And mm. it was, it was a struggle for us to all of a sudden wake up to, oh, this is really shocking to everybody. Um, because we're living in a moment where culturally it's shocking. So for me, I think I do have the benefit of growing up with a hippie mom. So mm. I kind of come into culture and go, oh, this is a real thing. And I've been a student of it ever since I got old enough to recognize 
this struggle that women have so much. And, and I'm obsessed with trying to help women break out of it. Love that. Isn't it shocking that being true to yourself is shocking? <laughs> to other people. People are like, how terrible is the feedback you're getting? We're like, uh, no. we, we haven't, but what? <laughs> I know. I even shook my head and like had a reaction when you said that. I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just living on Maui, doing what we do, yeah. you know, being true to ourselves. And I don't think it's necessarily the elements. I think people are trying to figure out what it is about the decisions that my husband and, and family and I make and being on Maui and homesteading and homeschooling and working for ourselves and things like that, that people are trying to figure out what it is. But I think that after listening to what you just said, I think that with all of the stuff in the world and all the messages we're fed, that the shocking part for people is actually that people can be true to themselves mm -hmm. and be successful in that and, and not fit the mold and yet still be happy, have non-traditional roles, non-traditional motivations. But, and I'm sure that you could probably identify this with too, with this too, um, aligning your actions and your values, um, that you have this belief about God and his calling for your life. And then you're aligning your actions with that. And that's where a lot of that peace comes in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What role do you think um, playing small has in all this? Because I, I you mention it in the book mm -hmm. and I can totally see that in the society we live in. Do you think that the role of women playing small is a cultural message or do you think we do it to ourselves or do you think it's a combo of the two? I definitely think it's a cultural message. I mean, and it kind of exists on two planes. There's the playing small with women having the pressure to keep themselves small like physically um, kind of pulling in on themselves to not take up space in the world or to physically look a certain way or weigh a certain way. I mean, there's this, there's this kind of concept that we need to make ourselves small and not draw attention to ourselves physically. But then also playing small just means we don't show up to the world with the gifts and the talents that we were given because we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of people saying, who does she think she is? You know, mm. we're afraid of making mistakes and being embarrassed. But I think what happens is we mistake playing small with being humble. But there's nothing about humility <laughs> that means mm -hmm. we're not supposed to share our gifts with the world. We wouldn't mm -hmm. be given such unique and individual gifts and personalities and quirkiness and strengths and weaknesses. I mean, we're all so individual. We wouldn't be this individual person if we weren't supposed to bring that to the world. We all could be robots and exactly the same. It's not going to make the world better. We make the world better when we bring our true selves to the world. And I think that it is important for us to realize that, yes, we want to be humble, but we want to be humble and then walk in the confidence that the God who made us, the God who gives us dreams, the God who gives us ideas wants to see that through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen to all of that. Yes. Did you hear me inhale so dramatically when you said that? I was like, oh my gosh, Allie just dropped a bunch of truth bombs on us. Oh my gosh. If I were driving, I might have to pull over and think about that for a second. Oh my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. Well, let's talk about abundance because I love how you bluntly and yet so encouragingly tell us that the message of you are enough isn't ironically enough, that abundance actually means more than enough. And I'm a big supporter and believer in abundance mindset too. So would you mind speaking some light into our lives about that message? Because I know you are right. Yeah. I mean, for for a long time, women were held back. We didn't have the right to go after our dreams. We didn't have the right to get education. We didn't have the right. And then all of a sudden we go, okay, we've got it. And, and let's, let's work on self-doubt. We are enough. And every time I hear a woman say, I'm enough, I want to go, well, why? And if you're enough, that's great. But what are you going to do with that enough? And I think that the message of enough was important for a generation. You know, we got tattoos that said I'm enough. We put it on our letterboards. We fought for equal wages. We fought for the ability to have jobs. We fought for all of these different rights. But I think now we're at a time in history where we go, okay, I'm enough, but what does, what am I going to do with that enough? Mm-hmm. And if God is a God of abundance and wants to let us lead abundant lives, as John 10, 10 says, mm-hmm. what is it he's leading me to? And it's, it's funny, I, I've back when events were a thing before the pandemic, mm-hmm. when I would travel to new cities, I would meet women and we would talk and I would go, hey, um, answer me honestly. Do you feel like God is calling you to more in your life? And every woman, whether she's the CEO of a company or an accountant or a stay-at-home mom or a woman in college, she would kind of look around so no one could see. And she would say, yes, I do. Like, it's a big secret. And I go, okay, you're just like every other woman I talk to. Mm-hmm. And I think this call to more is the abundant life that God has for us. But there is something inside of us when we feel that drive to more, when we have this idea, when we go, okay, this is, I think what God is calling me to, we go, oh my goodness, what if this is me striving and I am trying to make myself better than I should be. And I need to just stay in the, in the corner and be humble and play small. That's what's going on. But if God put women on this earth to be a force for change and a force for good to make the world a better place, why would we want to hold that back? That drive that we have inside of us that says, I'm meant for more, whether that more is starting a garden or fostering a child or starting a business or writing a book or breaking you know, negative patterns that have been in families for generation and going, this family, this generation, you know, my kids, I'm breaking that cycle. That is a call to more. That is a call to abundant living. That's a call to health. Why would we want to automatically push it away and go, oh, this is just me? This is, I believe that is a divine thread that we're supposed to pull and we're supposed to follow. Mm. I love that. Wow. You're asking us to make some pretty big mindset shifts that I think are transformative and essential. And I think you're right. I think that we're called individually, but then there is this bigger calling. So we're looking around and seeing other women who are also starting to pull that thread. And I think I kind of see this bigger umbrella of yes, yes, yes. We need to make changes. We need to pull those threads. We were designed for more in the abundance life. What are some practical steps for us to start to shift our mindset and reframe to one of abundance? Well, I, I'm obsessed with this concept of partnership with God. Mm. And 
I think that the key to abundance is living in partnership with God. I mean, God is, his essence exists in partnership, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he partners with us in the world to have, to bring his plans to life. You know, I think that, yes, we started in the Garden of Eden, but God always knew that we were going to build cities and houses and we would have dry shampoo and Amazon Prime two-day shipping. Like all of those things, God knew because hello, he's omniscient and he partnered with humans to create. You know, it's not like when we get to heaven, we're all going to be sitting on clouds. It's a new heaven and new earth where there's going to be technologies and cities and, and all sorts of amazing things that we're going to be able to do just like we do here. And I think when we think about our work, whether raising our children, um, volunteering at church or, you know, our, our work as attorneys or entrepreneurs, whatever it is, when we view our work, the things that God has put in our hands in different seasons of life as partnership with him then it we're able to go, okay, what does abundance look like in this situation? A partnership mindset is key because when everything we do, we keep the mindset that we're partnered with God, that he can do everything he wants to do on earth. He can do it alone. He doesn't need us, but he graciously created us, gave us the ability to choose him or not, and then gives us the ability to partner with him to make it happen. That is really exciting to me. And the way we reach abundance, the way we overcome the self-doubt that holds us back, the way we get through those seasons of adversity that we are sure it's going to take us out, we do that by partnering with him every day. I mean, I think about um, Noah building the ark. He partnered with God to do it. And then it took him almost 100 years to do it. And I know half the time he must have been like, am I crazy to build this ark? And it Noah may not have been the first person that God asked to partner with him on it, but somebody else could have been like, well, I guess I just ate some bad dates. Like God offers <laughs> us the ability to partner with him to do things in the world. But again, it's our own self-doubt where we'll take ourselves out of the game before we ever get a chance to play. So to me, the key to living abundantly is to shift our mindset from a loner mindset, this mindset that I talked about at the beginning of, you know, mm -hmm. I pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm only responsible to my, for my life and shift that to a partnership mindset. I really appreciate the partnership mindset, um, with all aspects of our life, you know, from our spiritual relationships to our very everyday relationships with spouses, children that comes into play with, um, homeschool too. Oh Yeah. Um, because with that partner partnership mindset, automatically there is a sense of purpose and support and direction. And again, it is that mindset and I'm not sure how to describe it to people other than once you step into that mindset, once you step into the abundance mindset, a connection mindset, a partnership mindset, all of these doubts or those feelings of loneliness really do start to fade away, but it does take us taking that personal responsibility, putting in the work, figuring out how to step into that mindset. For me, it looked like praying on how to do that a lot. 
and um, then acknowledging it too when I saw it. So that was like a practical step that I did of like, okay, I'm going to honor this breadcrumb, if you will, or honor this affirmation or, you know, what a lot of people refer to as God moments. Like when last night when I was like, oh, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Ellie talked about that. Yes. Okay. I'm going to take that and I'm going to take it into me and I'm going to believe it and, and go with it. And I love that. Thank you so much because the other concept in your book that I was really struck by was in that partnership, we are Azers, mm-hmm. E-Z-E-R. I'll mm-hmm. include that word in the show notes because um, I had to ask you how to pronounce it. <laughs> I was reading, <laughs> reading it Ezer the whole time I was reading your book. Um, but Azer, it's empowering. Talk with us about this notion about um, how we are helpers, because I think that us giving us that active role as a participant in that partnership is part of the turnaround and the reframe for moms too. Oh, yes. I have so much to say. Side note, this concept of women being helpers, that was the premise of that whole book I read 20 years ago on how to be a good Christian wife. Um, mm. And it was it was from a, the the whole premise of the book was wrong and disempowering because the Hebrew word um, was was not translated correctly. So I have so much to say. So Azer... Um, in it with that Hebrew word that's used for Eve means helper. Now, Azer Konegdo is is how Eve is described. Konegdo means opposition or against. And when when I first heard that translation, I went, oh, uh, opposition to a man? How does that work? But it's not opposition like disharmony, but it's opposition for balance or support. So you can think of, you know, you need two wheels on a bike opposing each other for balance, two wings on an airplane to keep the airplane up. And you can think of like two big boards, a plank. If one plank is standing up, it needs support. But if another plank is going to lean against it, they can lean against each other in opposition to stand strong together. They're complementing, they're balancing, they're opposing each other. And that is what's meant by woman, by Eve, by Azer Konegdo. Azer is also used, um, it's a, used to a total of 21 times in the Bible for help. Now it's used for, for women, but it's also used to describe God as Israel's helper. Azer is used 16 times for God in terms of military defense and protection against Israel, with Israel. And when David in the Psalm says, my help comes from the Lord, the word he uses for help is Azer. It is a strong term. It is a military term. It is defense, the same term that's used for Eve. When God is identified as Israel's help and shield, that word is Azer. So we're not talking about Azer in the sense and help me in the sense of picking up someone else's socks or serving your boss coffee. We're talking about a woman that is strong and and she's balancing and she's in opposition because it takes two. And once I kind of dug into this and learned, okay, here's how the word is translated. Here's the other places it's used in the Bible. It completely changed my mindset about it. I mean, it is clear how God created women. He created us as valuable, as as chosen, as strong. And we, I mean, you can think about any woman, any mother, the weight we carry, um, mm-hmm. no one is stronger. No one is stronger than a woman who gets up in the middle of the night and rocks a baby for a few hours, and then she's making breakfast, and then she's teaching them math, and then she's doing this. And most women, we do it with a smile on our face. We may look a little frazzled. Uh, you know, we may need a nap. 
There's but, dry shampoo for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it is, it is, it's tough. I mean, as a mom of five boys, I, I, I homeschooled when the boys were little and then I sent them to school when I started um, building my business. I mean, we get up and we get the job job done. There's there's nothing stronger than a picture of a woman. I you you know this because you've read this part. But when I went to go see the Wonder Woman movie, you mm-hmm. remember that part. And mm-hmm. I, I love superhero movies because hello, I have five boys. But there's this part. If you haven't seen it, you want to see it. There's this part where she kind of steps into her identity as hero, and she. Is, it's in World War One, and she's going across no man's land. And the entire army is firing at her, and she's running across, and she plants herself in the middle, and she holds her shield in front of herself, and she takes all the fire from all the guns on the other side of no man's land, and she takes the fire so everyone behind her can pass safely. And I sat in the movie theater, and it shocked me because I wept. And I realized in that moment, that's, a, that's what women do every day, especially moms. We take mm-hmm. the heat, we take the fire, we shield the people we love. And I think that it is such a message for women in our everyday lives that we are strong, we are helpers, we are, we are not, um, God did not create us to be, to be weak. He did not create us not to be strong, that the world needs us in opposition and strength, balancing it because women hold the world up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really struck by that shield imagery in your book. Um, in fact, I may have even dreamt about it last night. Because <laughs> I love that. Just, I'm like, the shield image keeps coming up for me over and over and over again. And it is such an empowering one. And that we are just, we are stepping into that power, um, that partnership, our role, love, all of it. And we are being exactly what you described, sometimes without us acknowledging that we are that strong and that we are so essential and a huge part of that partnership. And it just is whether we are admitting it to ourselves or not. And I think that we could garner a lot of confidence and self-love and erase a lot of that doubt if we could take a few minutes to recognize our role in that partnership and our role as mom and woman and just basically world changer and protector. I think, I think that's a really powerful image for, for a lot of women. My audience is really mixed. We have a lot of different beliefs, but I want to talk about the enemy for just a minute Mm -hmm. because you bring this up in the book. And it's actually something I talked about with my husband last night too, when your book came up, um, this idea of the enemy, this outside dark force working against us, because I honestly find it important to acknowledge this element when it feels like we are in an uphill battle or are experiencing doubt. And it feels like something is working against us and kind of trying to pull us down as we're trying to climb up. But then I also want to know how we can move beyond those moments. So I know what my strategy is for um, dealing with the enemy or Mm -hmm. this dark force, the outside dark force. I really want to point that out too. Um, But what is your strategy for moving forward with confidence when you sense that the enemy is trying to bring you down? 
Well, if, I mean, biblically, there is, there is an enemy and he's wise and he's cunning. Proverbs says that he's kind of lying in wait, looking, looking for our weaknesses so he can try to depress us, to damage our faith, um, hurt us. And one thing that I started doing is my husband and I, we're both fans of the author C.S. Lewis. So mm-hmm. much so, his C.S. Lewis's nickname was Jack. One of my sons is named Jack for him. So big fan. Oh, cool. And one of my favorite books is The Screw Tape Letters. And if you haven't read it, it is uh, about you know two two forces of evil kind of writing letters to each other about how they're trying to distract this man who lives in World War II England. One of the best books I've ever read. I probably read it once a year. Wow. And we play this game called the Screw Tape Letters game, which is. If I were the enemy and I was trying to depress me or distract me or have me question my faith or just slow me down in what God has me to do, what three things would I tell myself right now? We'll, we'll, we can ask it to ourselves, but my husband and I will ask it to each other. I'll ask him that or he'll ask me. And then we'll rattle off like, well, I would tell myself that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm probably doing a bad job and I'm going to fail or, you know, all the things that specific to the situation, much more specific, of course. And then we go, well, sure enough, that's exactly what I'm hearing. And so we're Mm -hmm. always going, if I know what will, what, what will slow me down, what will hurt me? And then I can go, those are the exact thoughts that I've been having. It helps me realize, okay, those thoughts are not of God. Those thoughts are of something, like you said, a dark force trying Mm -hmm. to keep me from doing what I'm called to do in this season of my life. Because Mm -hmm. the enemy is most powerful when he can distract us and get us to hold ourselves back. Yeah. I actually wrote down, as you were talking, I wrote down the word distraction and circled it. Mm. Um, Because for me, that is my signal that if I feel distracted from my calling, if I feel distracted from my work as a mom, um, as a homeschool parent, um, as a podcast host, if I find myself getting distracted and sucked down different areas, or I start to feel like I don't have time or all these, all these different non-abundant ideas start to come into my head and distract me from what I like to call my real work yeah, or the people that really matter in my life, then, then I realize that that is the work of something else. And I start to tune in. And what I'm hearing you say too, is that there is an element of self-awareness that is involved in this strategy of um, keeping the enemy away, if you will, is that knowing yourself and knowing what your Achilles heel would be and knowing that there again is an outside force, something that you don't have to invite into your being but is outside and just constantly maintaining that and keeping it outside and be like, huh, you know, if, if someone knew me, (laughs) what would they say? Or what would they use to distract me? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just keeping it out there and recognizing it as that. So I do think that there is some self-awareness and reflection that is like kind of step one and figuring out what that is. So when I was reading your book and your thoughts on the enemy it and it being an outside force, the reason I keep emphasizing that is this year fear, the notion of fear has become as an outside force has become something that's in my mind all the time too. I had listened to a speaker talk about fear as something that doesn't live in you unless you invite it in, but it is actually like an outside force, like an outside 
enemy, if you will, an, an entity that's outside of you. So again, the enemy, fear, all of these things are outside forces. And if you can view them through that lens that they are outside of you and you are not inviting them in, your life will change. And that has absolutely been the case for me. And I think that it's easy for people to wrap their head around that idea, regardless of what their faith base might be. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Mm. Well, I love that you bring it up because I felt like it was a missing element in the dialogue of this empowerment message and, and standing strong and what that really looks like. So I'm really pleased that you included that. Thank you. So the last thing I want to ask you about is friendship and sisterhood as part of this standing strong, because I love the honesty and encouragement in your last chapter about sisterhood. I almost feel like the enemy doesn't want us to come together in sisterhood and community. So we end up with these notions that mom friends are hard to find or friendships Mm -hmm. aren't sustainable or we're too busy or we don't have time or they're just not genuine, things like that. But I have so many mom friends who feel like my sisters and I have two biological sisters myself, (laughs) but they also feel like my sisters too. And we can be, and we are azers in community community and with our sisters too. So what would you say to moms who are in the middle of those negative messages and are struggling to find community and sisterhood with other moms? Yeah, I had a kind of interesting experience when I was a young mom because my husband's career, it led us to, for him to change jobs and for us to move to a different city or a different state every couple of years. So Um, all five of my boys were born in a different city or different state. And it was one of the reasons I originally fell in love with the internet is I realized, oh, I can meet amazing women all over the world and build real friendships with them. Um, because it, you know, when you have little kids and you take one of them out of the house in flu season, and then you're homebound for a month because they all give it to each other. Mm -hmm. I I was so lonely. I never could get out of the house. And I I fell in love with the power of the internet to help us connect with other amazing women. And it really restored um, my my kind of love of the idea of sisterhood. I didn't grow up with any sisters. I grew up as an only child. And I, I had a couple of mom friends in every city that I was in. But I was building this network of mom friends and just brilliant women from all over the world who you know, spoke life into me, who encouraged me, who would call me out when I was you know, kind of pulling back and playing small and feeling sorry for myself. You know how we get in that, in that um, self-pitying season sometimes. And mm-hmm. that has stayed with me, the power of sisterhood, the, the, the great um, opportunity we have to make real friends, whether it's in our community or somebody that lives in another state and kind of invest in those relationships. I'm a big believer in the concept of having your battle buddies um, in the army, apparently uh, in the U.S. army um, de- troops will be assigned a battle buddy and they'll look out for each other, whether they're in battle or, you know, just day to day activities. They're looking out for your health and your emotional health and you know, how you're doing, just keeping an eye on you. And in life as women, we need to have a few, you know, three to five battle buddies who they're with us in the trenches, even if physically they're not with us in the trenches, they're with us in the trenches. We're, you know, we're on FaceTime calls, we're texting each other, we're, te- we're, we're 
where we are invested in each other's lives enough to speak into them. Um, Mm -hmm. who it's real easy with friendships to always tell each other what we want to hear. Right. Um, but the, the friends that I value most are the friends who'll be like, Allie, have you thought about that? Or have you thought that through? Or, you know, I notice you haven't been in a good mood the past four or five times. What's going on? You know, that, that takes some energy that takes some effort. That's, that's real love from a sister. And I think this concept of intentionally looking for battle buddies, these friends that we have in the, either in different seasons of our lives or, or throughout our lives, it's a real game changer for us. Hmm. So good. So good. And again, I don't know, last night was pretty magical apparently for this conversation <laughs> because I ended up texting a couple of good girlfriends and trying to figure out some scheduling snafus that I was having when it comes to you know, different get togethers or, you know, trying to meet the needs of my family and trying to meet the needs of other friends too. And, and I wasn't really finding a good balance, but last night I decided to be brave and be myself and state what it is my concern was, what it is my dilemma was, and let them speak ideas into the situation too. And I think the thing that had been holding me back was I felt pressure to follow this good girl narrative of, well, I don't want to rock the boat and I don't want to offend any friends and I want to consider everybody's needs and all of this. And I was like, actually, this is exhausting. I'm considering everyone's needs, meeting none of them, and especially not meeting mine. So it was starting to feel like a little bit of a dumpster fire. And I needed to be like, hey, so the dumpster is on fire and you guys are my really good friends. And I know that I can show up as myself and I can reframe that. And I knew that that message and that doubt that I was having, even with these long-term friendships, wasn't what our real sisterhood and community was about. And I think that the points you just made and being able to show up as ourselves, you know, just really brings your book full circle and your message full circle so that if we start to feel limited in our friendships and sisterhood and all of that, that basically I would just recommend people read your book and start out with this whole idea of being yourself and, and then also the abundance mindset and being a helper and connection and strength and authenticity and all of it. And your book just is this wonderful loop from start to finish where you could just keep reading it and rereading it and rereading it because you just have done such a wonderful job, Allie. I just really love your book. I love the work that you're doing, the messages that you are sharing. I think they're really powerful. I appreciate that you bring spirituality into it all too. I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you more. Can you please tell us where they can find you? Absolutely. And thank you so much for that. So kind. I am Allie Worthington on my website. I have lots of free gifts there. Everything from um, happiness tips to business tips to devotions. And then on Instagram, I'm Allie Worthington. And my podcast is The Allie Worthington Show. And of course, Standing Strong is available everywhere. Oh, and it's such a good book. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Allie, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. 
For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, mama. I appreciate you.